Hello and welcome to Purdy's Podcast. Today we're discussing how Simón Bolívar liberated South America from Spain and how Manuela Sáenz helped him. Let's get started. Good morning and welcome to Purdy's Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the path to independence for various nations in South America in the early 1800s. The wars for independence looked different based on where you looked in South America. Up north in Venezuela and Colombia, the rebels found it really hard to break away. These countries were and are close to the Caribbean, and the Spanish based most of their army in Cuba and Puerto Rico so they could easily resupply and reinforce their troops. Down in Argentina and Chile, it was a long way from Spain and the Caribbean, and so revolts down there were tough for the Spanish to quell. While the revolutionaries often proclaimed their Enlightenment ideals, the main reason many of them were fighting was to trade freely with the rest of the world. The colonists were tired of Spain controlling their trade. The Spanish didn't even think it worth having their colonies if these colonies didn't favor Spain greatly in their trade relations. The first thing the rebels did when they took, when they took over a city or a country was to open up trade with Europe and the United States. Then the very first thing the Spanish did when retaking that area was to restrict trade to Spain again. So, for example, in Caracas, Venezuela, in 1812, 85,000 pounds of British goods were imported. By 1815, when Spanish rule had returned, that figure had dropped to 5,000 pounds sterling. It's a big difference. A big wave of conservative feeling swept Europe after Napoleon was defeated including Spain and its colonies, no one had the stomach for more fighting. This was the chance for Spain to win back its colonies, and French King Louis XVIII, recently restored to power, one of the old Bourbons, and Tsar Alexander of Russia begged King Ferdinand of Spain to ease up on the colonies, to loosen Spain's hold, let them breathe a little, trade more freely, and perhaps then Spain could hold its New World colonies. King Ferdinand didn't listen to anyone, he sent tough new rulers to Latin America and lots of soldiers who were battle-tested and hardened by fighting against Napoleon in Spain. And so Spain tried to win back its colonies with brute force. This intimidated the colonists, and so the rebels lay low for a few years and things looked stable again. All the revolts flared back up again in 1820, though, because one of the Spanish armies refused to board ship in Spain to go to the New World, and there was a crisis. At the end, liberals took over in Spain, and they weren't willing to use force to control Latin America. This wasn't really working anyway for the conservatives. The United States issued the Monroe Doctrine in 1823 to remind European powers not to try to colonize or recolonize countries in the New World, and the British Navy backed those fine words up with their guns. The Spanish were cut off from their colonies by an ocean, and their armies in South America couldn't be reinforced. So here we go, on to Spanish South America's path to independence, Simón Bolívar and Manuela Sáenz. As mentioned above, or, or pardon me, as mentioned in the last letter on Mexico, Napoleon invaded the Iberian Peninsula in 1808. Removed the Bourbons from power, they fled to Cadiz, Spain, protected there by the British fleet and placed his brother, Joseph Bonaparte, on the Spanish throne. 
This threw Spanish America, all of Spain's colonies, into great confusion. Who ruled Spain's colonies now? King Joseph Bonaparte? The Bourbon King in Cadiz? The local viceroys in South America? The local people themselves in South America? Over time, the last option, the people, became the preferred choice, which led to the rise of various new republics from Mexico down to Chile. But this took a long while to happen. Simón Bolívar, 1783 to 1830, was a wealthy Creole from what is today Venezuela. And at 17, he married Maria Teresa Josefa Antonia Joaquina Rodríguez del Toro Alesa, a fellow member of the Creole elite. And Bolívar was deeply, madly in love with her. And there's a painting of their wedding below in the letter. Tragically, she died earlier in the marriage of yellow fever and Bolivar's heart broke, and he came close to death himself from sorrow. When she was buried, his baptismal clothes from when he was a baby were tucked under the pillow, as no child of theirs would ever be born to wear them. Bolivar explained the effect of this wife's death <clears throat> on his path in life, and he said, Thinking years later, had I not become a widower, my life might have been very different. I would never have become General, General Bolivar nor the liberator. Although I have to admit that my temperament would hardly have disposed me to become mayor of San Mateo. When I was with my wife, my head was filled with the most ardent love, not with political ideas. Those thoughts hadn't yet captured my imagination. The death of my wife placed me early in the road of politics and caused me to follow the chariot of Mars. Bolivar couldn't overcome his grief until he took a long trip to Europe reading the works of classical and Enlightenment authors all the way there during the two-month sail. He crisscrossed Europe, visiting the France of Napoleon, who was just about to crown himself emperor, much to, much to Bolivar's bitter disappointment, as he thought Napoleon was betraying the revolution, and making his way to Rome. In Rome, Bolivar recalled, he pledged to liberate his country from Spain. From boyhood, I thought of little else. I was fascinated by stories of Greek and Roman heroes. The revolution in the United States had just taken place, and it too was an example. George Washington awoke in me a desire to be just like him. When I and my two companions arrived in Rome, we climbed Mount Palatino, and we all knelt down, embraced, and swore that we would liberate our country or die trying. In the civil wars which followed the collapse of Spanish authority, Simón Bolívar, and he's pictured on the page in the letter below, and other revolutionaries led the colonies to independence. On July 5th, 1811, Bolivar declared a Republic of Venezuela with a new constitution that revoked the clergy's many privileges, just like the French Revolution had done, and promised legal equality to men of all, of all races, but with a property qualification in order to vote. But when Napoleon was defeated and the former Spanish king took back power, with veteran Spanish troops sent back to South America, Bolivar's forces were defeated, and he was forced to flee. Down in Buenos Aires, modern Argentina, the rebels were farther away from the Spanish army, and so their rebellion was more successful. Back in Jamaica, protected by the British and brooding on how to turn things around, Bolivar vowed to, quote, not adopt the best form of government, but the one most likely to succeed on September 6, 1815. And so when Bolivar returned to South America, he did not promote a Republican form of government, 
on the American or even the French revolutionary model, but something else, and it was nowhere near a pure democracy. His approach arguably led to the instable republics, so prone to military dictatorships often seen in the region. Even with Napoleon defeated and Spain restored to royal rule, it was permanently weakened, and rebel forces in South America regained the initiative, beginning to win battles, with Bolivar fighting in Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru, and Bernardo O'Higgins and José de San Martín fighting down in Chile, the Spanish forces were defeated army by army. Bolivar organized a Venezuela National Congress in 1819 and declared a Republic of Colombia in December of that year. O'Higgins and San Martín took over Chile in 1819. Class, by 1821, with his ally, General Antonio José de Sucre, Bolivar had liberated all of Venezuela and Ecuador. The end, of the, the end of the Napoleonic Wars helped Simon Bolivar because he was able to hire English, Irish, and Scottish mercenaries with money from British lenders. Remember that the British wanted South America open to trade, and Bolivar could help them with that. By 1820, Bolivar was meeting with success, and any time he would liberate a city, he would enter it at the front of a big Mardi Gras-style celebratory parade. The legend is that when he entered Quito, Ecuador in 1822, a lovely young woman watching the parade from a balcony threw him a, bu a bouquet of flowers and he was smitten. They met at the victory ball that evening and fell in love. A legend disputed by many historians, but the truth is that Manuel Sáenz did meet Bolívar in Quito soon after he liberated it. And this started an affair that lasted until he died in 1830. She became his most trusted advisor, companion, archivist, and loyal friend. Sainz's mother, who was a Creole woman living in Quito, was never married, and in the terms of the time was a spinster, who had an affair with a prominent Creole married man, resulting in a surprise pregnancy. She gave the baby to the nuns at a convent, who took in orphans and paid for her to be raised there. But she died six years later, and the Manuela, and Manuela, when Manuela was only still a child. Manuela's father picked up the bill. Surprises some modern historians, who forget about the strong code of honor in Spanish colonial society at this time. In any event, Manuela's father treated her well, though the fact that she was illegitimate could never make her equal to the children he had with his wife in those times. He arranged for her to be married to James Thorne who was 37 years old while she was only 20. Thorne was a successful British trader and was a good business connection for her father to make. Also, as a foreigner, Thorne was less likely to care about her birth outside marriage. They were married in Parroquia de San Sebastián, one of the oldest cathedrals in Lima. Manuela, who's pictured in the letter on this page, page five, was married to Thorne for five years, living in Lima, which she liked because it was far from Quito and all of its gossip about her background. In 1822, she visited Quito alone to say goodbye to her father, who was sailing back to Spain because he was a diehard royalist and the rebels had taken the city over. Remember, Bolivar's on his way to Quito at the same time she's on her way to Quito. While her dad loved the king of Spain, for the past five years, Manuela had been a major revolutionary organizer in Lima and was well known among the rebels. 
When she met Bolivar, it was also a meeting between respected revolutionaries, not just an awestruck young fan meeting her idol. Yet Bolivar was taken with her and charmed by her. Manuela had an alluring feline grace. She could dance. She could ride horses. She was also breezily unafraid of scandal. Bolivar called her Manuelita and told her, quote, If only my soldiers had your marksmanship, we would have routed Spain long ago. So she was good with a rifle. Bolivar was not faithful to Manuela Seans, but she was to him, and she had the great respect of his officers and soldiers. A diplomat's report back to the United States Secretary of State, Henry Clay, stated that she was, quote, generous to the extreme, caring deeply for the sick and the wounded, and giving freely from her own money to help the poor. One night in 1828, and this is a good story, after the Spanish had been defeated and Bolivar was ruling in Colombia, everyone was sick in the presidential palace in Bogota, and Manuela was sick too, unable to leave her bed at home. Bolivar begged for her to come take care of him, and so even though she felt horrible, she dragged herself over to the palace. He was in the bathtub taking a cool bath to try to drive his fever down. There were few guards on duty, and Bolivar's sword and pistol were both holstered in the next room. Please read to me, he begged her, saying it would lift his spirits, and she did for a while. Then they both collapsed in bed and fell asleep, feeling very ill indeed. At midnight, the dogs barked furiously outside. Manuela knew something was wrong, and she shook Bolivar awake and made him get dressed. But his boots were out getting polished, and he had no other shoes, so they squeezed her galoshes on his feet. There were shouts in the palace of long live liberty and death to the tyrant, and there were heavy footsteps down the hall. Bolivar wanted to stay and fight, but instead Manuela made him jump out the second floor window, and he made his escape. Manuela heard a pounding at the door. Florentina Gonzalez, one of the plotters against Bolivar, recalled later that when the door opened, quote, there appeared in the doorway a strikingly beautiful woman, sword in hand, who, with admirable presence of mind, very courteously asked us what we wanted. And of course it was Bolivar they were after. Well, I've had, I have no idea where he could be, she said. What about that open window they barked? Oh, I've just opened it for some fresh air, she replied. Then Manuela took Bolivar's enemies through every room of the palace, trying to find Bolivar, until finally they caught on to her game. Finally, she said, He's safe. I set him free. So kill me. The men pushed her down, hit her with the flats of their swords, and kicked her in the head until Gonzalez pulled them off to keep looking for Bolivar. Meanwhile, Bolivar and his pastry cook, who had also fled the palace, hid nearby. Bolivar sent the cook to find out what was going on, staying in hiding himself. And the cook told him that the army was still loyal to Bolivar and it was safe to go back to the palace. Bolivar embraced Manuela together, on, pictured on the page, on his return, saying, quote, You are the liberatrix of the liberator. In 1830, just two years later, the couple had separated. When told of Bolivar's death, Manuela tried to kill herself by poisonous snake, but it bit her arm and not her throat, and she recovered. Rejected by her family and with Bolivar out of power and then dead, Manuela 
Sainz was quite friendless. She ended up in a small town on the Pacific coast of Peru, Paita, and opened up a little shop advertising, quote, tobacco. English spoken, Manuela Sainz. She wrote letters home for sailors who didn't know how to read or write, embroidered, made pastries, and just scraped by until she died in 1856, 26 years later, poor and mostly forgotten. In 1824, Bolivar and General de Sucre defeated the last royalist army in Peru. With Argentina, Chile, Mexico, and the various Central American republics already independent, this meant that Spanish America was now entirely free of royal rule. Now, Klaus, Bolivar had plans for a Pan-American Republic along the lines of the United States and organized a meeting in 1820 in Panama to set it up, but no one could agree to such an audacious plan. South America was just too big, diverse, and varied a place to be governed by one state at this time. Even Ecuador and Venezuela broke away from Colombia to make their own countries. Bolivar sailed back to Europe in 1830, super disappointed that his grander schemes of Spanish-American unity had not come to pass. He wrote, quote, America is ungovernable. Those who would serve the revolution have plowed the sea. Pretty harsh. But old age often makes us grumpy. Gabriel Garcia Marquez gives a sharp profile of Bolivar in his book, The General and His Labyrinth, which perhaps we'll excerpt for class. Without the Spanish crown to provide a figurehead, there was no common unifying government, figure, or ideology that could unify all of these peoples, places, and civilizations. Yet Bolivar's pessimism seems a little bit much. From Mexico to Chile, the revolt from Spanish rule led to exciting new futures for a dozen or more new countries, new republics. These countries are proud of their republican histories and the casting off of monarchy just as proud as Americans are of overthrowing King George. In a huge United States of South America, these individual histories, these individual national histories, might have been submerged or lost. Well, thank you so much for being on Purdy's podcast today, and we'll see you next time.